Morning, Christ Church. One of the things I love about our community is this saying, no one stands alone. You've probably heard it before. No one stands alone. It's kind of our community rally call. Uh, it's actually the guest Wi-Fi password here at the church. So if you're ever up and wanting to know how to get on the Wi-Fi, that's, uh, keep no one stands alone in your mind. When people often come to the church and I meet new folks who are coming into the church, I always want to ask them, what drew you to Christ's church? How did you, um, how did you find yourself coming and then staying and remaining uh, with this community? And what frequently people say is there's this sense of community where they could show up and they were welcomed um, and also remembered, and just names remembered week after week, that they felt like they were able to belong quickly. There's warmth of Jesus uh, that, that kind of was extended to them. But then they'll go on and say something a little bit more, which I find more interesting. She'll say, I felt like I didn't have to pretend that I had everything together when I came to Christ Church. I, I didn't have to put on a show when I came to church. I, I, could, I could admit that there are times in my life where I just, not everything is going the way I would want it to. And there was a sense that other people were surrounding me, other people were supporting me, other people were in my corner and helping me while I was even wrestling through difficult things in my life, maybe even wrestling with God. This kind of sense that no one stands alone in the community is only possible if this flip side is true. No one stands alone because everyone has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer, meaning that when others are going through the tough times, you're able to show up in presence, in physical embodied ways, being with others. No one stands alone because everyone offers their very self in caring for each other, for one another. We're going to talk about that concept today. Everyone has something to offer, and we're going to talk about it in um, two sort of ways. I want to ground it theologically. I think there's a theological reason why everyone has something to offer. So we're going to talk about that, why everyone has something to offer, and then a practical reason. How does everyone have something to offer? How do we actually offer ourselves to one another? So why and how does everyone have something to offer? We'll start with the theological reason. And I've never written a book before, and I doubt I, I ever will, but like many of you, you kind of get these ideas of just thinking, you know what would be a good book to write? And so I'll give you one of my uh, ideas of what would be a good book that someone should write. So if you're looking for a PhD, or if um, you've already written a book and you want to write a second one, someone should write this book, which is the, the ways in the New Testament the church is described. In the New Testament, there are about seven different ways that the church is described, seven different metaphors to say this is what it means to be in Christ as a people. And I'll put them up here on the screen. And each one of them says something a little bit different, like there's shades of meaning in each one of these, which is why it would be such a good book to, to talk about and to think about. But look at these ways that the church is described in the New Testament. It's called the body of Christ. You know, Jesus is the head. We are the body. We're, we're all need one another. The vines of the branches, we abide in him. The bride of Christ, meaning that we are moving, we are journeying towards this intimacy with God is what he desires. Called a chosen race, a holy nation, temple of God's presence, we're called the royal priesthood. And as we lead this up, what's interesting is um, four of the seven ways that the church is described come out of our reading in 1 Peter. Like 1 Peter, in just five or six verses, picks up on over half of the ways the church is described in the New Testament. He calls us, Peter in, uh, in verse 5, he calls us living stones. He says, as you're moving as a community towards Jesus, you're like these living stones that are being built into a temple, 
to house the presence of God. When people come among you, they're bumping into the presence of God. He says you're a chosen race. Literally, what that means in the Greek there, you are a newborn people. You've been born again out of the world, called out of the world, called into a new reality. He says you're a holy nation, literally there, a new ethnos. When you hear the word ethnic, you've got a new culture, a new king, a new kingdom that you belong to. And then he calls us a priesthood. He says it twice. In verse 5, you're a priesthood. In verse 9, a royal priesthood. And I want us to focus on this priesthood aspect because this is the theological grounding. Why does everyone have something to offer? It's tied into this, this idea of priesthood. And this is where things start to get really fun because you'll remember the, the language of priesthood shows up all over the Bible. I mean, it's there in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are called, They're, they are royal priests. That's language there. But where it shows up first in like the most powerful way, it's when uh, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And he says, if my people, if you will keep these commandments, you will be a priesthood, a kingdom of priests. You'll be taking my presence out to the world. It's got this rich history showing up all through Scripture and then showing up at a really important time when the Ten Commandments are being given. But we need to talk a little bit more about priests because there's something confusing about priests. And as a priest, I'll admit, there's something confusing about what it means to be a priest. And here's the really confusing part. We have one English word, priest, to cover two New Testament Greek words. So we've got these two words in the New Testament, and both of them filter down. We, we say the same one English word to cover both these meanings, and they're a little different. Put the words up here. The priest words of the Bible, hierus and presbyteros. Hierus and presbyteros. Let me describe them. Hierus, the first one there, um, it's what you think of when you think of an Old Testament priest. You think of someone wearing the, the ephod. You think of someone um, going to the temple and offering sacrifices. When you read the whole book of Leviticus and it talks about all the priests, it's talking about this word, the hierus, this, uh, this person who is um, making the sacrifices, mediating between, uh, between God and between the people. In the New Testament, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the only time someone is called a hierus, this kind of priest, is actually Jesus. He's our great high priest who has offered the final sacrifice of himself on the cross and actually gone not into the temple, but he's gone into the presence of God. We say he is the climax of the old covenant. He is the fulfillment of all the other priests. He is the embodied one, the one who stands in the presence of God Almighty. That's the only time we see that word show up in the New Testament. But there's another word, presbyteros. And that word, uh, it means a ruling elder. And if you're looking at that word and, and you think, I think that's misspelled. I think he means Presbyterian. Um, you're actually right. The word Presbyterian, so the denomination the Presbyterian, um, comes from this word, and it means those who are ruled by the ruling elders. The ruling elders, the ruling teachers, are the way that the, that church is ruled. But this word in the New Testament, it represents what I call the, the functional clergy. The church has always set aside those whose role it is, is to care for the people of God. They set aside people to preach the gospel, to preach uh, the good news of Jesus, set aside people to administer the sacraments. 
This is where I fall in. This is where Father Cliff would fall in as part of this functional clergy, which Father Cliff, by the way, on sabbatical right now, when he gets back, he actually did write a book about this. This was his dissertation, so I'm like playfully talking about writing a book. We should ask him for a whole sermon, uh, a whole series of sermons on this royal priesthood because it was his, uh, a book he has written. In 1 Peter, Peter's talking about the church as uh, this holy priesthood. And do you think he uses the word hierus to describe you, the people of God, the holy priesthood, or does he use the word presbyter? It's actually really fascinating what happens. We'll go to this next slide. Go to that. Yeah, there we go. Jesus is called the great high priest, clergy, the functional priesthood, presbyteros. But the, the royal priesthood, the people of God, you're tied in as hierus, tied back to Jesus. And why is that significant? Significant because Peter is grounding the life of the church in Jesus' ministry, not a local priest or a local pastor. Pastors and priests will fail. Humans, they will rise, they will fall, but the church will remain unending because it is connected to Jesus, the high priest, the true high priest, the one who's in the presence of God Almighty. The vibrancy of the church is always connected to Jesus and to his priesthood. So why does this matter? You might wonder, why, Matt, why are you making such a big fuss about this? And I would say the reason this is so important, because this gets to the heart of the Reformation. And you remember, part of the Reformation was really concerned with who are the holy ones? Is it just the, the priests and the clergy and the monks who devote all of their lives to God? And then everyone else just sort of muddles around and God doesn't have anything to say to them? Or is there something more significant that maybe God has something to say for all of us? You know, kind of in our modern language, we might say, are the, are the, are, is there sometimes a special emphasis on uh, missionaries or on pastors or those who work in mercy ministries in some sort of way? And like, they're the real ones and everyone else is just making money and sending and filtering it that way because they do the real work and, and no one else does any like real Jesus work. And what this is getting at and what Peter's getting at, what the Reformation so clearly understood is simply this, the priesthood of all believers, meaning we all share in his priesthood. We all share in Jesus's priesthood. There's not a special class of Christians who are set apart as somehow super holy and everyone else just get through life. But rather, as you are united to Christ, your everyday life, the work of your hands that you do, the things that you are, the, the place where God has you in life right now matters to God, is holy to God, has significance before God. What you do matters every single day. So we ask then, what does this priesthood do? What does it mean to be a part of a priesthood? And the first thing, priests always do two things. They represent God to the world and they represent the world to God. This first thing, the first thing they do, representing God to the world, this is what you first do uh, as the, the royal, the holy priesthood. You communicate God's presence to the world. All right, when I was 22, uh, and maybe some of you, uh, I was at a crossroads in my life. And maybe some of you have been at a crossroads like this. Maybe you're still at one of these crossroads. But here's all that was happening uh, that semester in my life. is um, I was finishing college, 
And um, I was trying to figure out that huge looming question that every college student wrestles with, what's next, right? And I had taken my medical school entrance exams and done well, and so was preparing, okay, I've got this one direction over here. Um, I also had my high school sweetheart, and we were intending to get married, and so that was kind of on the horizon as well. And I was wrestling also with, God, are you calling me to vocational ministry? Are you, is there some sort of calling to go into this functional priesthood? And I remember wrestling back and forth with this real hard. And on the one hand, I was like, you know, going this one direction seems uh, a little more stable for me as a, a young man about to get married. On the other hand, I kind of sense this calling, God, maybe you're calling me into vocational ministry, but I'm nervous to be a fundraiser as a 22-year-old. And which way are you calling me? And I couldn't, couldn't figure out, like, Lord, what direction do you have me? And where I finally felt freedom, I finally felt breakthrough, was around this issue. That whether I went into the medical field, whether I went into vocational ministry, it was all holy. That the work of preaching sermons and leading Bible studies was just as holy as the work of taking tests in medical school, of learning to care for others, of um, having to deal with paper write-ups and bureaucracy that often come in doctor's offices. Like, they are equally as holy. This priesthood of all believers says that wherever you are, God has you right there, right now, today, to communicate his presence to the world. Whether you feel holy or not, take whatever work you are engaged in right now, washing dishes, changing diapers, selling insurance, formatting spreadsheets, doing data collection. You're in school as a student. Healing, convalescence, the long road of health recovery. Through the priesthood of all believers, you are engaged in holy work. Your vocation is to communicate God's presence to the world. You don't do it on your own. You do it because his spirit's in you, tied to Jesus, the great high priest. That's how this happens. Your vocation lived out, which is one of the reasons um, we're in a, a vocation initiative here at the church. You've heard us use this language, everyone called, everyone commissioned in every arena. And uh, this, uh, this fall, there will be another fuller formation group starting. If you want help with, to be in the company of others, uh, discerning your vocation, where's God calling me at this season? I would encourage you, join this group and process with others where God's calling you at this season because your vocation, your everyday working life, matters to him. That's the first role of our priesthood is we represent God to the world. But the second role of priests is that we offer up the praises and, and, and sacrifices of the world. We offer them up to God. The priesthood is always offering up sacrifices to God. And the holy priesthood, the priesthood you're a part of, offers up praise to God, offers up thanksgiving to God. Which means this, that as we gather to worship, all of us have something significant to offer. Not just the clergy up front leading the service, the presbyteros. All of us on Sundays, as the priesthood of all believers, we are invited to offer something up to God. And this is where I'm going to transition. So the, the first, first point, theologically, we ground everyone has something to offer in the reality that we belong to the priesthood of all believers. But then how do we do that? How do we, as the priesthood of all believers, gather on Sundays and offer something up to God? And this is uh, some of the practical elements of it. When we come together, you come together on Sundays, there are at least three ways you offer yourself up to God. You make uh, this offering up to God. The first is you offer your worship, just being present, your presence, singing uh, is an offering up to God. 
Second way you do it is through offering your financial gifts. That is, you offer um, the fruit, the labor of your hands. You're making an offering up to God. And you're saying, God, all of it is yours. I just, I offer back to you up to this. The third way is your service. That your service, the way that, that you serve on Sundays, your, your invitation to step in and serve on Sundays is part of this priesthood of all believers, offering up even the service to God. And I want, to look at, um, I want to look at the shape of our service. If you're new to the Anglican tradition, usually about once every other year or so, we'll take a whole service where we just do what's called an instructed Eucharist service. And we'll give like detailed explanation about why we do exactly what we do. Because if you're new to the Anglican tradition, you're like, there's a whole lot going on up there. There are um, bells being rung. There are people wearing robes. Uh, there's people bowing. And, and you have questions about that. So usually once, or, once a year or every other year, we'll do something like this. I'm not going to go through a whole instructed Eucharist right now, but we're going to do an abbreviated version on the four movements of liturgy. What happens when you come and gather for worship on a Sunday? And how, what does that have to do with the priesthood of all believers? So we'll start these four steps. We gather on Sunday together to hear God's word, to be fed at his table, and then to be sent back into the world as a priesthood of all believers. And I'm just going to walk through each of these points a little bit, especially highlighting the way that we serve as a priesthood of all believers in these moments. First of all, we gather, and for some, this is the hardest step. Like literally after the week that you've had, after the, the burdens that you're carrying, the alarm clock goes off on Sunday morning, and the temptation is... Um, it's hard to gather. It just frankly is hard to gather. And maybe you go down to the coffee pot and someone's drank all the coffee in the morning. And it's just, you're, you're fighting like resistance at every step. You drive, you get in the car and you drive all the way to the church. And finding a parking spot somewhere in the vicinity of this church is got to be like, God, this is a test of sanctification. For me to come to the church and to actively seek out a parking spot every week, you're probably yelling at people to get out of others. Just, I want that spot so close to the church. Right, So this act of gathering, coming out of the world, is actually the first movement. And as you come into the building, here's a couple of things that are happening. First of all, you're greeted by someone who's serving as welcome team member. And you might think, yeah, that's practical. Someone just needs to hold the doors open and smile. But it's so much more than that. Because what is happening when you're walking forward is someone is communicating hospitality, warmth, the love of Christ to you. Why the church grew so profoundly in the first three centuries was their commitment to hospitality, this extended welcome to everyone who wasn't even their family. It's one of the, the most important virtues in the life of the church, and the welcome team participates in that. More than just smiling at people, they are welcoming them in to say, this is a place of hospitality where you belong, because Christ has welcomed you in. You come, and you start to get into the room, and as you get into the room, um, there's probably some chaos going around, some People are, are, you know, talking and laughing and, and seeing one another for the first time in a week. The band is still rehearsing up here. Little kids are jumping over the chairs. Probably one of them is my kid. Um, jumping over the chairs and just kind of messing around. And there's a bit of a chaos there, but you also notice there's a holy aroma. And why you notice that is because there have been people who have come before the service started to pray over the service to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to show up tangibly in these moments, committed themselves to praying over the service, this covering prayer. A bell is rung, and then a crucifer, usually a youth, carries the cross forward as the service begins. And this procession happens that represents all of us, the priesthood of all believers. And what's being communicated is that we are the people who follow the cross. 
We are a cross-shaped people. That defines us more than anything else. We are led into worship by the cross. And when we leave, we are sent out by the cross as well. Cross-shaped in all that we do, putting Jesus at the very center of what it means to worship. We transition then to the ministry of the word. And that's the ministry that God speaks to us. That he hears us. That he forgives us. We have lectors who come forward and read God's word to us. We, they, we get a full menu throughout the year of Old Testament scripture, psalms that we pray, New Testament letters, and then the gospel at the center of the room saying we oriented around ourselves. This gospel at the center, which says this is the centerpiece of our community, is the way that we follow Jesus in his life. But the lectors come and read, and they don't just stand up here and get a piece of paper and read. They actually get the, the text ahead of time, and they spend time um, reading and praying ahead of time for even how they'll read God's word. And um, there's even recently a lector who was out of town and missed, uh, missed getting the, the, the scriptures um, within a five-hour span when this person had realized it, emailed the church about five times to say, like, get me these scriptures so that I can ahead of time prayerfully reflect on them and read them uh, in a holy way as I come to the church on Sunday. Somewhere in this time of the word, children are sent out to Kids Quest, and I know it, it didn't happen today, um, but in a couple weeks in this service, we'll have Kids Quest starting back up again uh, on the 28th, and in that moment, all the kids, age kindergarten through fifth grade, are sent out for age-appropriate discipleship. That while a sermon is being preached in here, other leaders are speaking directly to our children. And get this, you know the move of our God, that our God doesn't stay far off. He always stoops to speak on our level. So we have children who are having people speak on their level appropriately, that here's what it is to follow Jesus. And then in the back of the room, we have this AV team. And the AV team, usually, they tend to be people who like to stay sometimes in the back of the room. And so when everyone starts turning back towards them a minute ago, they all, they all start to hide behind the computers back there. But think about this. Who is most engaged in a whole worship service? It's them back there who are advancing these slides uh, throughout the service. And what they're doing, the way I think about it, is they're like um, an orchestra band conductor, keeping all of us on the same page of worship making sure that we're all in tune together so that we can offer our worship and our praise to God. We transition from the ministry of the word to the table. And if you're new to the Anglican church, uh, you might have felt this, but you haven't named it before. You notice our whole service is moving, is journeying towards this table because it's a reenactment of the gospel every single week. We all come forward, how? Empty-handed, as beggars, asking to receive from God. And every week we are reminded as a chalice bearer or a clergy puts the bread into our hands, this is his body, which is broken for you. We have ushers who help dismiss people out of, the row, out of uh, rows and get them to come up front. And you, again, might just think this is just a, a happenstance service role that anyone could do, but I'd like to share with you, some, an, an usher recently said, he, they, wanted to, they wanted to know, can I get up front and just give like a testimony to the church of what it means for me to be an usher? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they, they said this, they said, when I'm dismissing others from their row, helping them come forward to communion, how honored I feel as a sinner in need of Jesus to play a small part in serving others to receive communion. I thought that's so beautiful because they totally get this priesthood of all believers, the offering up of their service 
together forms the whole people of God. After receiving uh, the communion elements, the body and blood, some of you then move to corners of the room where we have healing prayer ministers, ministers who have been trained to keep confidence, to pray with you, and to prayerfully expect God's healing power to be poured out upon anyone for any need they have. The presence of God, the real presence of God, the healing presence of God. And then the last move of the liturgy is we are sent back into the world. And remember, we are sent back following the cross. Some of you then leave the service. You make your way to the nursery where you find your toddler who's been in the arms of a young adult um, or a, an encore member for all the service. Someone who's served you even by giving you respite uh, for a week so you could worship together. There's been a respite for your family. As you maybe are leaving the courtyard, making your way to lunch or brunch or somewhere else, you notice someone staying behind, stacking the chairs up and carrying on conversation. This person is called a sexton. And by the way, don't you think Anglicans just have the coolest names for people? You can be a sexton one day if you want to. What this person does, the sexton cares for the beauty of the sanctuary. They care for, um, for making sure the sanctuary is returned to proper order. And just like the altar guild, and I, I skipped over the altar guild uh, unintentionally, uh, back at the ministry of the table, the altar guild who sets the table, who prepares the feast for us, just like they come early to prepare this table, the sextons stay late to make sure everything gets put back into its proper place. It's a care for beauty, attending to the beauty of the sanctuary. The priesthood of all believers, the royal priesthood means this. Everyone has a part to play in Sunday worship. Everyone has something to offer. And as we turn to this fall, I want to invite you to take your place as part of this priesthood and begin serving on Sunday mornings with Christ Church if you aren't yet. Right now, we have a number of Sunday morning roles that need to be filled as we go into the fall. Uh, welcome team members, ushers. Kids Quest, Nursery, many of the things I just said, um, we have a, a need of that. And I would say even over the past couple years from the pandemic and the lockdown, we've not yet returned to our level of service that we were in 2019, that we just haven't fully uh, go, gone back to how we were prior to the lockdown. And I want to be clear about this. Some people, as soon as you invite others into serving like this on a Sunday morning. For some of you, and maybe like Enneagram 1 or something, your first response is like, I'm not doing enough, or Enneagram 2, that's what it is. I'm not doing enough. I need to begin serving now. There's like this kind of guilt-based thing that happens. Um, that, this, is, this is not a guilt trip. Rather, there's an invitation. Because there's another way that we could operate church service on a Sunday morning, which is simply this. We could hire people to do all the different roles and all the different work. That's one other way that you could think about Sunday morning, but that, that misses the point. As the priesthood of all believers, we all together get to offer up a service to God, not just the clergy. Everyone is invited to use their gifts, their abilities, their time, who God has made them to be, young and old, family, single, everyone has something to offer, and that is part of the richness of Sunday morning. In fact, that is the gift of Sunday morning that we all worship together as this priesthood of believers, all of us together offering up the service to God. So who is this invitation for, for serving? Youth. I say this invitation is for you. As I think of our youth, those especially the kindergarten, the Kids Quest age up to 12th grade to high school youth, this is for you. 
you might, sometimes you, you hear like uh, invitations and you might think like, they're not talking about me, they're just talking about the adults. No, we're talking about you, the youth. You have a part to play. We need your vibrancy. We need your energy. We need your passion. You have something to offer. Families, this invitation is for you. Family, some, so often there's a way of like serving together as a family that it forms your whole family. It becomes a point of discipleship. It becomes a point of conversation in, uh, in your life throughout the week. Older adults, this invitation is for you, that we need your wisdom. We need your hands. We need, um, so often, older adults are so good in reverence. We need your reverence, the way you reverence the Lord, the way you care for the beauty of the sanctuary and for the whole service. If you're new to Christ Church, this is for you. One of the best ways to make community comes through this act of serving, that we all serve together, this priesthood act of offering up the service. If you're already serving at Christ Church, then let this be a reminder that you don't serve for spiritual points, but your serving becomes from belonging to Jesus's priesthood. You help to offer up the service, praise and thanksgiving. It's one of the things I love about the gathered church. Everyone has a part to play. No one is excluded. You belong to Jesus's priesthood, which means you share his presence in the world. And you offer up praise and thanksgiving together, the whole people of God, every Sunday. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.